Welcome to another edition of Northwestern Outdoors Radio, the award-winning show covering fishing, hunting, conservation, destinations, and other outdoors recreation across the greater Northwest. Northwestern Outdoors is brought to you by Max Lur, Sportsman's Warehouse, Sina Sea Seafood, and Wallowa County Chamber of Commerce, and the Northern Pike Minnow Sport Reward Fishery Program. And now, let's see what's happening this week with your host, John Cruz. Welcome aboard. I'll tell you what, it's not been an easy year for big game hunters in central Montana. Based on data collected at Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks Augusta Game Check Station, hunting pressure and harvest in north central Montana remains below the 10-year average for the third weekend of Montana's general hunting season. As of November 9th, just 200 deer and elk have been checked through the station, which is a decline of about 25% from the 10-year average. Although 1,000 hunters have passed through, that's still a 25% decline from the average, too. Mule and whitetail deer harvest is at 17 and 23% below recent averages, and the elk harvest is 35% under the 10-year average. On the bright side, the rut is now occurring, and with much colder and snowier weather, the folks at Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks think the hunting should get a whole lot better in the days ahead. Things are a little bit better in western Montana. So far this season, 4,500 hunters have appeared at regional game check stations. The overall number of hunters with harvested white-tailed deer is actually up compared to last year, while the number of hunters with harvested mule deer and elk is slightly down. And just like in central Montana, biologists expect that the harvest is going to keep improving with the onset of the rut among deer. Montana's general deer and elk hunting season runs until November 27th, so you still got some time, but not much left to tag out on a bull or a buck. This week on Northwestern Outdoors Radio, we're going to talk a lot about hunting. We're going to talk about hunting bulls, we're going to talk about hunting bucks, and we're going to talk about hunting geese and ducks. And if you're an angler, don't worry, we've got some fishing for you too, courtesy of Bob Loomis with an extended Max Minute, who will tell you about a great place in northeast Washington where you can catch a whole bunch of rainbows in a hurry. Speaking of catching rainbow trout, there's several state stocking trout this month, and we'll tell you which ones they are and some places to go find those trout. As for hunting, if you are a whitetail hunter, you will definitely want to hear from our first guest today. That would be outdoors writer Jeff Holmes. He wrote a great article for Northwest Sportsman Magazine that's full of great advice for harvesting a late-season whitetail buck, and Jeff's going to share the highlights of that article with us today. Another outdoors writer we'll hear from is my friend Jason Brooks. He loves hunting in Idaho. He's actually been there twice this season, and we're going to talk about those two hunts, and you're going to find out that even the most experienced hunters have some bad trips and things can go wrong. Jason will tell you what went wrong and some lessons learned. And then there's my hunt. Went out with my best friend Rusty Johnston for a duck and goose hunt in the Columbia Basin. And it was a very interesting hunt and we had some good success. We'll tell you all about it and we'll tell you about some of the unique things that happened during our hunt too. In addition to this, we've got your Sportsman's Warehouse Trivia Question of the Week with a Thanksgiving theme to it, and so much more. So, pour yourself a cup of coffee, make yourself comfortable, and let's start things off as we do every week with another edition of Sportsman's Spotlight with David Sparks. Buying salmon fishing gear made easy. I'm David Sparks, and Sportsman Spotlight is next. I've had a couple of conversations with Dick Poole, who is the owner of Pro Troll Fishing Products out of California. 
First and foremost, Dick is a salmon scientist who has produced highly efficient lures that are designed specifically for salmon fishing. My company is ProTroll Fishing Products. Been in business about 32 years. We primarily manufacture thermal gear for salmon, all kinds of salmon, salmon and trout, ocean salmon, Chinook, coho, and so on. And those take big lures and bait holders and big flashers. But the kokanee market is a big market, and we have an item called the kokanee killer. And we make two sizes. One of the lures is inch and a half long, and one is two inches long. We have 20-some finishes on each of the lures. It's a plastic lure. It comes rigged with leader and so on. And a lot of people will troll it all by itself, or a lot of people will cut it down shorter and troll it behind a small flasher or dodger, and works extremely well. Tell me, how do I get one of these kokanee killers, and how much they cost? A lot of the retailers around the Northwest carry them, but a person can go on our website, which is protroll.com, and we list the dealers that carry our product, where a person can buy virtually everything we make. Again, protroll.com. Weed growers, are you looking for stands that deliver? Syngenta's Pacific Northwest seed treatments provide proven protection against a broad range of seedling diseases and pests. Cruiser Insecticide offers control of aphids along with the vigor effect, coupled with Vibrance fungicide rooting power, and now Viantis fungicide seed treatment to reinforce your Pythium protection. Syngenta seed treatments encourage plants to develop stronger root systems for improved performance and higher yield potential. To learn more, contact your local seed supplier. Always read and follow label instructions. For over 40 years, the Ag Information Network has been providing news and information for the most important industry in the world, agriculture. The Ag Information Network gives you worldwide updates from local producers to regional organizations, from major crops like wheat and corn to animal agriculture to specialty crops like apples, almonds, and cherries. We report on stories that mean the most to you. Online at aginfo.net, the Ag Information Network, trusted and transparent journalism lasting for the next generation. David Sparks, Sportsman Spotlight. Pheasants Forever is working hard every day to ensure there's more wildlife habitat for the future. Join the habitat leader and help create wildlife habitat in your community. Go to pheasantsforever.org. Next on Northwestern Outdoors Radio, let's talk late-season whitetail deer hunting. For a lot of folks, especially in northeast Washington, the general season for whitetails is going to end this weekend on the 19th, but it's open in other places. There's still hunting to be had in Montana and portions of Idaho, and there's also controlled hunts that happen later this month, too. With us here to tell you more about having success during this time of year for whitetails is Jeff Holmes, who wrote a great article about this in the current edition of Northwest Sportsman Magazine. Jeff, great to have you back on the air. Hey, John, how are you? I am doing well. I understand that you're not out during this general season. You're actually going to start hunting around Thanksgiving. Yeah, right now I'm hunting through Facebook, and there are a huge number of bucks being shot all over western Montana and Idaho and northeast Washington, including by some of my friends. But I'm a muzzleloader hunter, so I don't get to participate in that kind of famous late-season whitetail hunt that I used to in northeast Washington. We have an early Thanksgiving this year, and my season opens the day before Thanksgiving, so it puts me in the woods during super prime time for some of the bigger bucks to be walking around stupid. Well, here's hoping that you tag out. And this really is the month to go hunting for whitetails because they're in the rut. So question for you, is it all about finding the does and hanging out with the does if you want to get a big buck? 
I mean, yeah, that's one of the main strategies that whitetail experts will talk to you about. I'm, I'm not an expert, but I am passionate about it. And that's one of the techniques that I picked up on years ago and have had some success around. If you can find a concentration of does, there are going to be bucks there in the month of November, especially as we move later into the month. So if I can find a group of does, which is definitely my prime technique, I will sit on those does and sit patiently. And that's something else I want to talk about here is patience. A, a lot of deer hunters just are programmed to think I'm going to hunt the first couple hours in the morning, maybe the, the last couple hours of shooting time. But you recommend grinding it out all day, don't you? Yeah, I think that's more of an early and mid-season technique. The idea of I'm just going to hunt when it's you know cool in the morning and cool in the evening. Definitely don't want to do that. You want to be out there all day long. First of all, the days are really short, which I'm having trouble getting used to, but it does remind me that it's whitetail season. You want to be out there every waking moment. Those bucks are on their feet like 20, 22 hours a day some days during this time of the year. And, you know, all the patterns that they've been in, being super secretive, being nocturnal, hiding in places where people never go, all that goes out the window. So, yeah, being out there all the time is definitely the way to go. You also recommend... Instead of still hunting and moving around, just finding a place and sitting down, preferably near some does. Yeah, let's define still hunting, actually, because I misdefined it for years, and it's something I'm not good at. I actually have ADHD. I have trouble settling down. But the rut settles me down because my odds get so much better, it's just ridiculous. So still hunting is moving like, you know, maybe a quarter of a mile an hour. And I think that that is a good technique for this time of year. Can be. It's not my technique. I prefer to just take a seat somewhere where I have confidence. And, you know, one of the things, you can just randomly sit anywhere in the woods and have a deer potentially walk by in November. But there are certainly better places to sit than others. And having some confidence and some, like, pre-existing knowledge about the chunk of ground that you're hunting on or knowing that there are does in close proximity to you or seeing that you're sitting amongst a network of scrapes with a good line of sight, those are probably better approaches than just walking into the woods and randomly sitting down, which... Earlier in my life, I unfortunately did a fair amount of. Let's talk about those scrapes. It's not necessarily a sure thing if you find some scrapes that there's going to be some bucks around, is it? No, it's definitely not. And honestly, that's uh, understanding the scrape game is some voodoo, probably best left to the guys who are out patterning deer year-round, who have networks of trail cameras, who have some pre-existing knowledge about scrape lines that deer use year in and year out. And there are like all these different types of scrapes. There's scrapes that just juvenile bucks kind of hit. And then there are like these big community scrapes where all the deer go. There's something called a licking branch. And there's really a science behind hunting scrapes. So I think for people like me who are dedicated but still kind of fair-weather whitetail hunters, just knowing that there are scrapes around is some good psychological assurance. But sitting on one scrape and expecting a big buck to show up is, you know, might be better than sitting in just a random spot in the woods, but it's not a sure thing at all. Well, let's talk about calling those deer in. And one way to do it is rattling antlers. Another one is to use a grunt tube. But there's a right way and a wrong way to do this, isn't there? I think there's a bunch of ways to do it. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't profess that, that I'm an expert at it, but I've, I've had some luck for sure. There's not much more exciting than rattling antlers on a super cold day and having a big buck just ghost out of the woods come walking at you intently. That's a fun feeling. I really advocate doing it. A little bit about how I approach rattling. Don't hunt with four-corn antlers. They're going to sound like dinky bucks sparring. Get a decent-sized set of antlers. The bucks can tell the difference in the resonance of the sound when you're banging those things together. Interesting. And I cut off the eye guards, and I drill a hole in the base of, of my rattling antlers, and I tie them together with a good piece of cordage 
like others who have rattled, it's pretty easy for one antler to come like flopping out of your pack and all of a sudden to be out rattling with one antler, which is not real effective. So tying them together has, has some utility. I, I'll find a spot where I have some confidence. And I, I've been hunting the same chunk of ground for the last, oh, I don't know, eight, nine years up in northeast Washington. And I've got some stuff dialed in up there where I know there are going to be deer around. I know that there are does around. I know that there are bucks. I see the buck tracks the, the minute I start walking. I see the scrapes. So I'll set up with a good line of sight, well concealed, and I'll start off with a you know an initial volley uh, of rattling. Maybe it lasts, you know, people have their own preferences. My first volley would maybe last 90 seconds, something like that. Try to make it sound as natural as possible. If you don't know what that sounds like, it's easy to go online and listen to what whitetail bucks, you know, fighting each other sounds like. And then I just mimic that. And then I'll sit tight for a while. Sometimes I'll sit tight for only 10 minutes and maybe like tickle the antlers together a little bit. But I try to sit and, and wait 30 minutes before I do another volley. And then I'll do another. And I'll try to stay in that location for, you know, over an hour which, you know, can be challenging, especially if it's really cold, dress warm. But give it at least an hour because that sound is going to go far if you're out, unless it's windy, of course. But if the sounding conditions are good, you give, give it some time. And then if I don't get any luck, I will get up and I will move to a new spot that I think is extremely likely, maybe outside of the sound shot of where it previously rattled. And I'll just kind of like, quote unquote, rinse and repeat. Okay. Let's talk about something else. I think a lot of folks know that the further you get away from people, the further you get away from pressure, and the more success you'll have. One way that people will do this is by using ATVs, four-wheelers, but you might be missing out on some deer if you do this. Explain why. Yeah, that's a complicated question, actually, because you are going to find bucks around people during the rut more than at any other time of the year. You know, much of the year, bucks are going to be high on mountains, on like hard to get to ridge systems, buried in hell holes, and in these like really defined localized areas that they stay in. And a lot of them are completely nocturnal. But when the rut happens, they have to go to where the deer are. And whitetails have kind of a symbiotic relationship with people. They like agriculture and they like lawns and they like thinning. You know, human activity tends to attract those. So bucks are going to be closer to people at this time of year than any other time. One reason people are so successful during the rut. But still, are there concentrations of does that are like way behind gates on closed roads or not close to farmer's fields or around farmer's fields that aren't close to people? Absolutely. And I, I feel like the best of both worlds is when I can find a group of does further away from people that aren't being pressured, where the bucks aren't being pressured. That's ideal. Now, the, the subject of ATVs, that's one that I've evolved on. When I was younger, I had so many hunts ruined by ATVs where I would bust my fat butt up a hill a couple of miles in the dark, huffing and puffing, only to find someone who had illegally ridden their ATV up there. Well, there's a lot less lawlessness now with ATVs, and they are a really good tool, especially for sometimes getting a deer out of the woods. But I think a lot of people, and the evidence shows this, rely too much on their ATVs and just zoom through the woods and drive by a whole bunch of deer. I have friends, including a, a good buddy of mine who's just a great hunter who works with the Department of Fish and Wildlife here in Washington, who actually uses the ATVs to his advantage. He knows that they're going to drive by a whole bunch of deer. So instead of losing confidence because there's a bunch of ATV traffic zooming by the places he likes to hunt, he just holds tight. So yeah, they can be a great tool, but people can also misuse them. It's really tempting to just sit your fat butt on an ATV and ride in somewhere and enjoy the motor. But I think using them strategically as a tool is a lot better option than just driving around on them. We've got to leave it at that, folks. But there's more. 
hunting advice for you in this article, Late Whitetail Best Hunting Practices. Check out the latest edition of Northwest Sportsman Magazine. Educate yourself. It'll probably help you tag out. Jeff, thanks for sharing this with us today on Northwestern Outdoors Radio. Yeah, it's always great to talk to you, John. Thanks, and good luck to everybody. Sportsman's Warehouse is America's premier outfitter, full of the gear you need to succeed this hunting season. Firearms, ammo, archery equipment, decoys, clothing, boots, and more. Find a location near you or shop online today at sportsmans.com. You're back with more of the great outdoors on Northwestern Outdoors Radio with John Cruz. It's that time again. It's time for another Extended Max Minute brought to you every week by Max Lure. And with us again is Bob Loomis. Bob, welcome back. Thanks, John. So it's the time of year when you start thinking about catching cold water trout. It's a subject you and I talked about recently, but this time let's talk about some destinations. What are some of your favorites in Northeast Washington to target these fish? Well, you know, this time of the year and throughout the winter, we've got some fantastic fisheries on Lake Roosevelt. The trout fishing is phenomenal. Long Lake over in the Spokane area on the Spokane Arm. Uh, Rufus Woods. You know, we've got a number of really good trout fisheries over here that we can work. And all three of these have quality trout. I was lucky enough to fish at Long Lake with Steve Morris at SGM Guide Service and Max Pro Staffer Eric Magnuson, as well as Bob Schmidt. We had a great outing there. Let's talk about some lures and setups you'd recommend for catching trout this time of year. You know, we talked about trout earlier in the fall, and with that warmer water, you know, downsizing and using small profiles. Well, now that the water's starting to get cold, fish are going on the feed bag. I mean, you couldn't really go too big of a profile for trout fishing. And one of the things that that I go to, one of my main go-tos, is the double whammy original wedding rings. That double whammy is phenomenal. You've got the tapered beads, a number three Indiana spinner, double hook setup, and tip it with a night crawler, tip it with some type of bait, but it works phenomenally well for the trout. What do you like to put in front of that? A flashlight troll or maybe a double D dodger? Well, you know, it just depends. I like to keep things a little more subtle as far as the attraction because you've got a little bit bigger spinner, a larger profile. So I kind of downsize on my attractor and I go to like a a two-bladed flashlight. So it's, it's a little bit smaller attractor, but it's enough that it will draw fish from a ways away. All right, we'll consider a two-bladed flashlight troll paired with a original double whammy spinner. Tip it with whatever bait you'd like to and go after some of those trout in the months ahead. Sportsman's Warehouse is America's premier outfitter with the gear you need for fishing, hunting, camping, paddling, cooking, and just about anything else you can do in the woods or in the water. With over 125 stores across America, there is bound to be a Sportsman's Warehouse near you with not only the gear you need, but also the experts to help you get the most out of the product you purchase. Head down to your local Sportsman's Warehouse today or shop online anytime at sportsmans.com. That's sportsmans.com. 
Public lands and waters are integral to our outdoor heritage. Become a member of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers and stand up for our public lands and waters. Visit backcountryhunters.org today. Welcome back to Northwestern Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. Our next stop is the Gem State of Idaho. That's where outdoors writer Jason Brooks is with his son. They're deer hunting, and this is not the first time they've done this fall either. Jason, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, John. Glad to be back. So, Jason, you live in Washington State like I do, but you've been going to Idaho for like 30 years now for big game hunting. What continues to draw you to the Gem State? You know, it's interesting. I actually first started hunting here back my senior year in high school, 31 years ago, as a gift from my dad before I went to the United States Air Force. And really quick, there I was. So I hunted my first year as senior in high school. And then fast forward a year later, I'm at Chinook Air Force Base, Illinois, and I'm getting my orders where I'm going to go land my feet. You know, I'm going through my training and everything else. And I finally get my orders and I got Mountain Home, Idaho. There you go. <laughs> so I landed right back to Idaho, got to live in southern Idaho, got to enjoy the Gem State, fell in love with this place from the sagebrush flats down by the Nevada border all the way up to the, the Tamaracks and the Alpine area up by the Canadian border and everything in between. The Frank Church lies right in the middle of it, and that's where my heart lies as well, is right in the heart of Idaho. Well, I know you love to fly into a little airstrip in the Frank Church wilderness, and you did that again this fall. Tell me about that hunt and how it went. Well, so I think this was like my 17th or 18th time going in there. I can't even remember anymore how many times I've been in there. And you'd think by now I would know better, but I'm probably at this stage in my life and, and maybe in my hunting career where I, I'm starting to forget the little things and they become <laughs> big things real quick. First I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. First off, we get in there and the weather's going to be perfect. It was 78 degrees three days before we got there. So I'm like, oh, no. But it was a cold spell coming in, a cold front. We had to fly in a day early because of a major storm that was coming in. So we get in there, and it starts raining on us. And then the snow level's starting to drop. And I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be perfect. And we're getting all of our gear ready to go. We have a wall tent in there by the airstrip. Then we spike out, which is we, we basically bivouac out. We take a small little hot tent. You know, we were five miles away from the runway. And so we're getting all of our gear ready. And I pull my gaiters, which gaiters are like these things you put over your boots, to your pant leg to kind of keep the water from going in from the top of your boot, like, in, you know, from your socks getting soaking wet and those right. kind of things. And I realized I grabbed my son's gaiters that I bought him back when he was about 10 years old. Oh, no. Yeah. So the next morning, I'm like, well, no gators, no problem. I've done this before, you know. And we start hiking into where we're going to go into Spike Out at, and it starts pouring down rain and pouring down rain. Now I'm soaked, and my feet are waterlogged. I can feel the water squishing in my wool socks. And I'm like, oh, this is not good. No. And then I look up, and 15 yards in front of me in the trail is a black bear cub. Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, uh, okay, this is not good. Where's Mama Bear? I'm right. like, you're way too close. This is a really small bear. It's soaking wet. I'm soaking wet. I have a whistle with me. If you ever get lost, you know, let's carry a whistle. I start yelling, hey, bear. I start blowing on this whistle, and this bear just for like 15 minutes just stands there 15 yards, feeding in some fireweed, kind of walks towards a tree, walks towards me. No Mama Bear ever showed up. Huh. I don't know. I don't know if this mom bear got taken out by wolves, a lot of wolves in there, or just natural occurrence, or I, I don't know. But this little cub was all by himself. We're both sitting there soaked. I felt so bad for him. But that's how my trip is starting for a 10-day Idaho backcountry trip. Oh, jeez. Did it we, get better? Well, 
No. (laughs) (laughs) We get to where we're going to spike out. I put my tent up. I'm going to put my stove together. The pin that holds the hinge for the stove door fell off somewhere. Oh. I now have a stove that's non-functional. Oh, Oh. my God. Was that your only source of warmth or your only source of cooking? And drying out. Remember, I'm soaking wet. Yes. And on on top of that, it's now switched from rain to snow. But I was able to fabricate a pin by taking these rings you have for your, your stove pipe, and I, I cut it and, and was able to fabricate that. So I got that sold the night. I pull up my air pad, and I, I climb in my sleeping bag. I've got a bivy bag, and I was saying, okay, no problem. I wake up a half hour later. My sleeping pad apparently had a hole in it. So now <laughs> oh I, sleep all, I sleep all night on the ground. I'm trying to dry out my socks. I'm trying to dry out my boots. It's just not happening. So the next morning I wake up. I tell my hunt partners who are in there. I said, I have to go back out to base camp i got to get dried out and i've got to get my other pad my base pad, uh, camp pad so my dad had taught me this trick years and years ago i had some plastic bags with me so okay. i actually put my wool socks back on i put some plastic bags over my wool socks slid them into my wet boots and down the trail i go fat dumb and happy just hiking along and i look up on the hillside and there's a herd of elk oh so i thought why not? Finally, my luck has turned. Let's go chase some elk while wearing plastic bags on your feet. <laughs> four, four hours later, I get to the top of the ridge, John, just to watch the elk crest over at 6,000 feet and literally somber away, eating at 700 yards into the backside of this basin. And I'm like, I can't go any further. That's, I, if I go any further and shoot this elk, it'll take me 10 years to get this thing out of it, alone 10 days. Right. So now I've got to go back down. Keep in mind, the runway's at 4,400 feet. I'm at 6,000 feet, and I'm within probably a half mile of the runway as far as the crow flies. That's how steep this country is. Oh, I'm in the, you know, the, the river basin, the, 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 the river, river drainage, and I have plastic bags on my feet. Oh my <laughs> <gosh>. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that was pretty much, that's my Frank Church hunt of the year right there. I get down, I get cleaned up, I get dried out, and I just pretty much took my camera for a walk the rest of the the other eight days after that. <laughs> well, there you go, folks. Even the experienced professionals and avid hunters have outings like this. However, this week you are on a hunt with your son in the Idaho Panhandle. Understand you got some of those leftover tags that are available. How's that going? Well, so it was going great. So I, yeah, I have a, an any deer tag, and my son had an any deer tag. And then November third, Idaho put on a the last of their sales for their leftover and turned in tags, and I was able to snag a tag for my son. That's a, a doe tag, you know. So I'm like, hey, I want to surprise him with that. We see so many deer up here that it's not uncommon for you to get your deer in the first day, you know. And I'm like, hey, they're not very. I'm, I'm a mule deer hunter at heart. So when I get these white tails, they're not as big as a mule deer. So we have no problem with the meat and everything else. You know, we, we usually run out of the white tail well, you know, well before even summertime. So I surprised him with this deer tag. And so today we're, we're going along and we're going out this ridge line. And it was almost like a takeoff or carryover. I had started flashbacks of the Frank Church. Oh, no. Yeah, because my son stops and he waves me over. And I go over to him. And I go, what, what's going on, Ryan? He goes, look at these tracks. Well... I had forgot the bear spray at home, and oh, I thought, oh. eh, no big deal. The bears are hibernating now. It's like 12 degrees outside. No, there was a fresh, today, grizzly track right where we were walking. Oh, wow. There are grizzly bears in this area. We're between the Selkirks and the Kootenays. Right. And I'm like, oh, boy, yay, just what we needed. So I looked at him and said, just remember, kid, 
I don't have to outrun the bear. I have to outrun you. <laughs> I have a feeling you'd lose that race, but keep going. <laughs> I, yes, absolutely. Well, about an hour later, we see a flash in the brush. And so Ryan's got these two tags, right? One's for any deer, one's for a doe. And he's like, hey, a deer just, you know, white, they're white tails. So you see a flash, right. it's, it's a deer, right? Okay, so he hikes up over the top of this ridge. And I'm watching him, and he's turning into a really good whitetail hunter because he hunts blacktails in western Washington. I see him, you know, raise his rifle, and then he just—it's almost like English style shooting for pheasants. Have you ever done that? You point to a spot and wait for the bird to come to you. Uh-huh. He slides his rifle to the left and just stops. And then about three seconds later, he fires. And what it was, he said, I talked to him. I said, "What's going on?" And his dad, I saw the deer. It was running through the brush, so I couldn't shoot through the brush. So I found the opening where it was heading to. Put my scope right there. He shoots a two to ten power scope. He's on two power. So there's a good field view. I just aimed my crosshairs right in the opening. As soon as I saw that deer, I shot. I was like, well, good for you. Wow. And yeah, so we hike up, and he's like, yep, I think it's a big doe, Dad. I got a big doe. I feel my doe tag. We get up there, and I go, well, one problem, Ryan. It's got spike antlers. Oh, well. (laughs) But you know what? He'd really hope to get a nice whitetail buck on this trip. The bucks are rutting. Right. But he's got a really good eating whitetail buck. Exactly. Exactly. Well, we are out of time, but definitely a tale of two trips. I have no doubt we'll see them in print. Look for Jason's work in magazines like the Western Hunting Journal, in Northwest Sportsman Magazine, in The Real News, and a whole lot more. Jason, thanks for sharing your adventures with us today on Northwestern Outdoors Radio. Thank you, John, for having me. Country hunters and anglers. You may have heard of us, but what are we about? BHA is the voice for your wild public lands, waters, and wildlife. From national level policy work to boots on the ground projects like public land cleanups, we work across North America to uphold the legacy of our public lands and waters, as well as your opportunity to hunt, fish, and recreate on them. Stand up for public lands and waters and become a BHA member today. Visit backcountryhunters.org. Welcome back to Northwestern Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. I am broadcasting from the man cave with my best friend, Rusty Johnston. He lives out in the Columbia Basin. We just got back from duck hunting. And Rusty, it was a pretty darn good morning. It was a great morning. It was a little chilly, but we did just fine. A lot of birds moving around. Well, I love coming out and hunting with you, especially uh, the blind that you have on this body of water we hunt. Because you live close to state land and getting to our jump off point on state land is half the fund we do it how we do it by golf cart <laughs> how many times do you actually go on a dirt road on a golf cart and so that's how we cover the first leg and then we park the golf cart and then we're kind of wandering through the sagebrush and we have to make a quick crossing and then we get to the blind and the blind is situated on a hill which really puts you at an advantage when it comes to the birds coming in the decoys I think so, because it gives you an advantage because you can see so many different directions. And you can see what's coming up and down. So you get a really good idea of what's coming your way. Not only that, but a lot of times as the birds are cupped and coming in the decoys, you're not shooting them pointing up. I mean, you've got like a side-by-side shot, which makes it, I think, a little easier to hit them. 
It does, because they come in and they're right at eye level. So, I mean, it's an easy shot. And there was plenty of birds today. I, I would definitely say uh, that the first wave of northerns has come in. Tons of mallards that we saw. Lots of mallards. That's about all we saw. We did see some a few pintails and a few gadwalls and a couple teal. And that was a, but mallards was the big one. Well, we saw some Canada geese, too, and they weren't the little ones. They were the graders. They were, and we just didn't do a very good job of hitting them. Well, I did hit one, and I did drop one. Unfortunately, I only winged it. It dropped about 100 yards away, and down the creek it went, and it was not to be found. So that was unfortunate. As a matter of fact, we ended up shooting five ducks, five mallards, all fat northerns, really nice. Probably missed as many as we shot at. And unfortunately, not having a dog, we lost a couple too. We did. One of them sailed on us and went out there a little ways. I took a hike out there, but either the hawk or the owl found it before I could. I did find the feathers. Well, I'm pretty sure it was a hawk, and I'll tell you why. Because you're out there looking for that bird that you dropped. You're walking back to the blind, and I notice taking off from the area you were just at was a northern harrier, also known as a marsh hawk. And you come back, and you're across the creek from me, and here comes a lonehead mallard. And you don't see it, but I see it. It's coming right in. It's going right over you. It's like, Rusty, look up, take the shot. And you look up and swing around, take the shot, and just drop that mallard literally, what, 15 yards away from you? Yeah, it was probably 15 or 20 yards where it landed. Yeah, straight up above over the head. And here's the funny thing, folks. Within 30 seconds of him dropping that bird, that marsh hawk was right on it. Dove right in there, didn't care that you were there. And you had to scare that marsh hawk away from your own duck that was just 15 yards away. Yeah, I probably walked up within 5 or 10 feet before he picked up and flew away. And he looked at me like, really? That's supposed to be mine. <laughs> It's all part of hunting, folks. It's all part of hunting. Let's go ahead and, and talk about a few things that worked for us today that might be counterintuitive. Number one, decoys. We didn't have a whole lot of decoys, and we didn't need a whole lot of decoys. No, the area that I hunt, I mean, the water is moving pretty good, and there's a few little spots that from the years I've hunted it, I've noticed that where the ducks are sitting. So it's just a matter of getting their attention and having a few that are out far enough that they you can grab their attention, but you really don't need a whole lot to bring them in. No, we were hunting with less than a dozen decoys, and it worked just fine. Another thing that we should talk about is the blind itself. It sure is nice to have a blind like the one you built, as opposed to trying to just hide in the sagebrush or in the cattails. Yeah, this one, I mean, it's been built, a friend of mine built it years ago, and he showed me it, and we've hunted there for years. It's a kind of a borderline pit blind that is surrounded by sagebrush. So, I mean, you, we have our stools, we have our coffee sitting there. So it's very comfy. It's not a bad way to go at all. And like you said, the view is great. Being on top of the hill, you know, you definitely get to see the birds from a long ways out. Something else we should talk about is is calling in the birds. Didn't seem to work that much, whether we were calling a little or calling a lot. I, I really think it was just the water they were oriented on and the decoys they didn't really seem to care about our calls. No, they didn't react well. I think them, I mean, the Northerns have been down for at least a week or so with this cold snap. So I think they're getting a little call shy. So, I mean, you get their attention with a little quack or a feeding call and then just leave them alone. If they're coming your way, they're going to, I mean, they, they would turn around and cup their wings and they're ready to come in. Something else we should mention 
lots of hens, lots of lone hens. In Washington State, you're only allowed two hen mallards as part of your possession limit. And we got our two hen mallards in a hurry. We had to let a lot of hen mallards just pass by. I mean, that were like literally right in the decoys. Yeah, they were taunting us. <laughs> well, I guess they can do that. But they do taste just as good as the drakes. That much I will say. So we ended up walking away with five fat mallards at the end of the day. If we were shooting better, we probably could have had maybe eight, but we weren't shooting too bad. It was a good day. If we had dogs, we probably would have found some of those birds that we lost, but all in all, a great day. The northerns are down. It's a great time to be hunting in the Columbia Basin or just about anywhere else in the northwest. Now, this is the time of year. Anytime you can get out hunting is a great time to be outdoors. And folks, to give you a little bit more of a report, also got out goose hunting the northern Columbia Basin of eastern Washington. Happy to tell you, the lesser Canada geese, they have arrived in the area, and... The snow geese have arrived too. As a matter of fact, the the lake that we were hunting above, past shooting, there's probably about 10,000 Lesser Canada geese that were on that lake the morning we hunted. Probably about 1,500 snow geese. And, And this is something that's relatively new in eastern Washington. All the snow geese we're seeing, you know, 10 years ago, you never saw any. No, it, I mean, every once in a while I see like one or two that got lost with the Canadians. But anymore, I mean, there's a, a group of probably... Oh, maybe five or six hundred that are roosting out on the lake right now. Right. And by the end of the season, you'll have thousands of snow geese that are using this area. So definitely huntable numbers. And I don't know about you, but I think that that trend is just going to continue to grow and we're going to see more and more snow geese. Yeah, every, I guess the migration pattern is changing for them. And they're coming over here because the Canadian geese are coming over here and finding food. So they just follow them around. One last thing we should mention, and this isn't hunting related, it's fishing related. Potholes Reservoir. You don't think of panfish at this time of year, except when you're fishing through the ice, but we've still got open water in the reservoir. They're catching some really big panfish out there. Yeah, it's a time of year to catch them, and even the walleye bite has been really good too, and the big walleye. As a matter of fact, sticking with the panfish for a second, Pete Fisher at Mardon Resort on Potholes Reservoir shared a photo with me of a bluegill that was on the scale, 1.2-pound bluegill. That is a huge bluegill. And another friend of mine that actually works for a sponsor of our show, Sportsman's Warehouse, Travis, who is the fishing manager at the East Wenatchee Sportsman's Warehouse store, he showed me some photos and some fish he caught this last week at Potholes Reservoir. He got into the crappie. Now, the minimum size for the crappie is 9 inches, and he told me he was catching them all the way up to 15 inches. He was having huge success fishing small 116th ounce jigs in white. He really liked using the Roadrunners, and he was tipping them with small Berkeley gulp baits. So don't hesitate about coming out to potholes for both walleye and panfish this month and bring your shotgun because the duck and goose hunting is going to get better and better. If you need a place to stay, go to mardonresort.com and you can definitely book one there. Any parting shots from you before we go, Rusty? Well, no, I'm just going to say it was a great day hunting with you. It's been a while, so it was a great time and we got to do it again. We will. I promise we will. Next, the holiday season is upon us, and you may be hosting a dinner or party or get-together at your home, and you know as well as I do that appetizers set the stage for how things go. So go ahead and get some great appetizers from CNC Seafood. They have smoked salmon. We're talking Copper River smoked salmon here, as well as smoked salmon spread and even smoked halibut spread. Now, these spreads taste fantastic, whether you put them on a cracker, 
burger or whether you put them on a bagel, they are absolutely delicious. And the smoked salmon itself, well, you can get it in a glass jar, you can get it in a foil pouch. Either way, it tastes great. What I love to do is put it on a cracker with a little cream cheese and a tiny bit of jalapeno jelly. Trust me, it is absolutely delicious. It'll be a big hit at your next get-together, too. So hop online at SinaSea.com. That's S-E-N-A-S-E-A.com. And pick up some smoked salmon or smoked halibut or smoked salmon spread and liven up your holiday season and your next get-together. The website again, SinaSea.com. And use the promo code OUTDOORSRADIO for 10% off your entire order. Come to Oregon's Wallowa County for outdoors adventure. Hike, ride, paddle, fish, or sightsee to your heart's content. And then visit one of our wonderful towns, whether it be Joseph with its beautiful bronze statues, our county seat in Enterprise, or one of our charming small towns like Wallowa, Imnaha, or Troy, where you can eat, shop, and sleep before continuing your adventure the next day. Plan your visit now at WallowaCountyChamber.com. That's WallowaCountyChamber.com. If your favorite season is deer, if your favorite salad is meat salad, if your favorite gifts come wrapped in fur or scales, if you're dreaming of a white and camo Christmas, then you'd fit right in at Sportsman's Warehouse. And lucky for you, Sportsman's is offering amazing deals all season long. So visit your local store or go online to sportsmans.com and gear up for an unforgettable holiday. Enjoy a meal of wild Alaskan seafood delivered right to your door. Sina Sea offers premium quality wild Alaskan fish and shellfish to include Copper River King and Silver Salmon, Halibut, Black Cod, King Crab, and of course, Copper River Sockeye Salmon. Order it blast frozen or smoked and experience a slice of Alaska for a special meal you won't forget. Buy your seafood now at SinaSea.com. That's S-E-N-A-S-E-A, SinaSea.com. We've got time for one more shot of Northwestern Outdoors Radio with John Cruz. I'm glad you're back. If you enjoy catching trout, November is a very good month to go after them in several of our northwestern states. Idaho has a robust stocking program this month, putting 10 to 12 inch rainbows and lakes and ponds all over the gem state for anglers to catch. In Oregon, several lakes are being stocked as well, and Walter Worth Lake in the Willamette Valley just got a plant of one pound rainbows, the first time they've gotten fish this big stocked in there for a year and a half. Washington State goes all out too. Roses Lake near Chelan got a whopping 10,000 plus catchable trout this month and waters like Cranberry Lake in Island County and Ty Lake in King County were stocked with pounder size rainbows and let's not forget Beaver Lake which got a plant of two pound trout earlier this month. Check your state's fishing game website for more information about trout plants in a lake near you and go fishing this week. And now it's time for your Sportsman's Warehouse Trivia Question of the Week. With Thanksgiving coming up, I thought we would talk about the turkey. 
that bird so many of us love to devour on this holiday. When our country was founded, one person advocated for the turkey to become our national bird, saying, the bald eagle is a bird of bad moral character, and by comparison, the turkey is a much more respectable bird and a true native of America. Fortunately, this person's passionate argument for the turkey as America's bird did not sway his colleagues and the bald eagle is indeed our national bird. But here's your question. Who was this well-known patriot who was all in for the turkey? If you know the answer, you know what to do. Go to our website at northwesternoutdoors.com and shoot us an email with the answer or go to our Facebook page at Northwestern Outdoors Radio. Like and follow the page if you haven't already. And then look for the post thread where we have the question and give us your answer there. One lucky person who guesses right wins that $25 gift card we give away every week from Sportsman's Warehouse. By the way, pre-Black Friday sales are happening now at Sportsman's Warehouse stores near you. And keep your eye out in the days ahead in your local paper and online at sportsmans.com for the official Black Friday Flyer, which will have some magnificent deals on the fishing, hunting, and outdoors gear you'll want to buy for yourself and for loved ones for Christmas this year. The website to check again, sportsmans.com. On that note, we've got to go, but here's wishing each and every one of you a very happy Thanksgiving. I hope you'll be surrounded by family and friends and have a true bounty of food on the table this year. Until next time, do take care, God bless, and make it a point to spend some time outdoors. 